Whether it's an ongoing NCAA investigation, a mass exodus of players which saw 40 newcomers on this year's roster, the expectations for the Sun Devil football program in 2022 were low. Granted, both coaches and players were definitely on a mission to defy those odds, but let's just say that the current campaign has not exactly started on a strong note. ASU with a 1-2 and two record following the conclusion of their non-conference play, an absolute embarrassing loss to Eastern Michigan, which led to head coach Herm Edwards and the program parting ways. This past Sunday, which led to running bass coach Sean Aguano being named the interim head coach in Tempe. So how did Arizona State get here and where do they go from here? To answer those questions and many more, I invited former ASU safety Jordan Simone, somebody who has been a very public vocal critic of Herm Edwards, to discuss uh, those topics and much more. And I think you're going to enjoy the very frank and passionate discussion from this Sunday. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get this thing started. Living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town. Welcome to the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'm your host at devilsdigest.com publisher, Hod Rabino. I am delighted to be joined by former ASU safety, Jordan Simone. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Hod. It's a pleasure to be on here with you. And it's it's funny, you know, I obviously I was, I was dive right in here, first of all, Hod. I was let go from the radio and... My my phone hasn't been lighting up quite as much, and I haven't been, you know, Pac-12 Brady used to, to call me weekly, 98.7 here locally used to call me weekly, and, you know, I'd, I'd go on their show, and I I haven't really got any calls since I got let go, which is fine, I, I, I get it, um, and now, you know, they, they let Herm Edwards go, and here it is, a flood of calls and emails, and I'm, you know, it's just funny how, how things work out, but I'm happy to be on here with you, you're one of, you're one of the OGs. Um, and, and so I, I'll always make time for Devil's Digest. Thank you. Thank you so much. That really does mean a lot. And just to bring some people up to speed, in case you didn't know, uh, Jordan was part of the Sun Devil Network broadcast team on Saturdays. Uh, his vocal and public criticism of Herm Edwards last year uh, did uh, cause him to lose his job. Jordan, to his credit, uh, did admit that it was a mistake making that criticism in that capacity. But nonetheless, Jordan, I know that the move may not surprise you, but like you and I talked off air, does maybe the timing surprise you? Just because the relationship between uh, Herm Edwards and Ray Anderson, you thought maybe Herm may, would get the rest of the year to play it out, maybe until the bye week. Uh, what about the timing of the decision? How much of that surprise or not surprise you? Yeah, I think the timing of it is, you know, if, if you weren't going to let him go after last season, why wait three games now? You know, it's just, it seems like if you're going to if you're going to ride into this year and act like everything's good and you know we've got good coaching and we've got a you know our, our, we're ready to roll you know this team's closer than any you know any team I've had and then you lose to Eastern Michigan and then you make a decision to to let him go it just seems like he you know like might as well keep him through the rest of the year what's getting rid of him going to do now other than just you know get a ton of media attention and uh and and shake things up in the locker room so Timing's definitely weird. I'm I'm happy that that Ray was able to make the decision, um, being his you know one of his best buddies. Um, it's definitely not easy, but you know I think it's it's 
it sucks for the players, first and foremost. You know, those a lot of those players committed to go to Arizona State because of Herm Edwards and the staff that was there. Now, granted, a lot of the staff that was part of recruiting those kids is no longer there. Um, and a lot of those players that was, were recruited originally are no longer there. So it's a completely different locker room, completely different coaching staff. And you make a move and you you, you make Sean Aguano the man um, to, you know, to carry this team down the rest of the road. And, and he's a guy that I think everybody can get behind. Um, you know, a lot of local respect and love for Sean Aguano um, throughout the community. And so I think you're just getting somebody that can come in and, and try to do things the right way and, and be a good person and somebody that um, maybe can can increase some support from the fans right now in, a, in what, what is a dark time at, in Arizona State football. So, Jordan, I'm titling this podcast, How Do We Get Here and Where We Go From Here? So let's address the first question. Yeah. How do you think Arizona State got here, that here we are just three games into the 2023 yeah. season and they got an inter- interim head coach? And this is a Power 5 program. Which, look, I mean, there's worse programs than ASU out there in the Power 5 ranks that have wackier coaching changes than ASU. Let's put that on the table. But, yeah, again, how do we get here? You know, I think it all started with uh, with the NCAA violations, the recruiting violations, right? If that's really where you look back and go, that was kind of the, the, the ball started rolling there. You know, then you, you lose Prentice, you lose Chris Hawkins, um, you, you lose some of these young coaches – which, which is a whole other deal because, and I'm going to go off on a tangent here, is, is those are young coaches, right? A defensive backs coach that was how old? 22, 23? Uh, 26. About, yeah. 26, okay. Same with Prentice. Prentice was really young too, 26 mm-hmm. to 28 years old 30, probably. Yeah. 30, okay. So yeah, I'm just going <laughs> out there. But, okay. but, but young coaches, right? And, and in, when this all happened, it was – those coaches, you know, they're operating on their own. You know, we didn't know what was going on and they kind of blamed them and fired them. Right. Versus I should, I, I would have thought that Herm being the man that he is, who is a good leader, a good man would have stepped up and said, this is my fault. I'm the one that, that was, I'm, I'm the leader of this organization. This is, this is my doing. And I'm going to step down and let these young guys keep their jobs and keep being on the progression that they are. Herms, how old? I mean, you, 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 late, late 60s, but okay. Late 60s. I mean, he's had a great career. He's very well known. He had a lot of success on ESPN. You know, are you really going to fight and scratch for another year at Arizona State to, to, and ruin these guys? You know, that, that's a whole nother deal, whole nother issue that I, I still am not over, um, the way that they handled that situation. Then you lose all your other coaches because, you know, you, you lose AP, who was going to be the future of ASU, you lose, who goes to the NFL. You lose a, a bunch of other coaches, and coaches are snitching on each other and just a bad situation, right? Um, so I didn't like the way that they handled that situation. Then you go into the year with arguably the most talented team that ASU has had since probably 2013, maybe even more talented than that team, um, you know, as talented as one of the Erickson-era teams. And, and, and you, you go into the season, you're the most penalized team in the Pac-12 and, and lead in almost in the country. And you have more guys that are about to enter the, the draft than any other, you know, than any other team in the Pac-12. I think they had 12 or 13 guys preseason that were projected to go into the draft and get drafted. And you go out against BYU and you have, you know, 15 to 20 penalties, several turnovers, look real sloppy and still almost win the game. 
Merlin Robertson doesn't fumble, they probably win that game. Um, and so everything started looking really sloppy. They go to play Utah, first half of Utah. They're, they're looking really good. They just come off the UCLA win. And then they don't come out of the locker room at halftime. And Utah's playing so inspired after, you know, tribute videos to the two players that passed away. And Cam Rising comes in and is exceptional. Um, really cool story. And then ASU never looked right after that game. They lose to Wazoo. That's when I go on my tangent about how undisciplined they are and that you cannot win games in college football playing that undisciplined. And they have the talent. The only thing that that told me was that they're coached so poorly and they're treated like professional athletes that they they never get in their face, they never yell at them, and they never correct mistakes. And that's what it leads to. It leads to penalized teams, bad turnovers. I mean, you watch Jaden Daniels in the LSU games. Brian Kelly's yelling at him mid-game. Did you ever see anybody yell at Jaden Daniels at, at practice or in games? No, not once. And that's, that was the problem. You can't treat 18 to 21, 22-year-old kids like professionals unless they've been a starter for two or three years and they've proved over and over again that they're capable. If they make a mistake, they fix it, they correct it, they move on. But no, they're, they're young kids. And we never saw Jaden Daniels progress Merlin Robertson hasn't progressed very much since his freshman year. He was an absolute stud. I thought he was the next Ray Malaluga. I thought he was first-round material. He never developed, and it sucks. It's sad because those kids, like me, they'll get, they'll get older. They'll be removed from college football for several years, and they'll go watch their old games and go, what the hell are we doing? What are we doing on defense? Sometimes I go back, and I love Coach Graham. Sometimes I go back and watch some of our games, and I'm going, what the hell are we blitzing? eight guys on third and 20 what are we doing like I get it you want to get you want to get home but let's just can we just play a little cover two or cover three for god's sake so you 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 step back and kind of review you know I remember watching Texas A&M when we played Texas A&M in 2015 we we tried to get the ball to Gump Hayes 45 times that game I'm like how many times how many more times do you need to give it to him for a zero yard gain before you try to go to Devin Lucian or somebody else so yeah. That's a long tangent about how, how <laughs> you got there. But, you know, like I said, I feel bad for those kids when they get older. They'll, they'll step back and look at it and be like, you know what, damn, they, they didn't really coach us that hard. And that's, you know, that's the problem with the players coach versus a disciplinarian. you got to find that fine line, that sweet spot. I want to talk to you about delegation. And, again, I'm not here to talk about Todd Ram, good coach, bad coach. Yeah. But correct me if I'm wrong, he really wasn't much of a delegator. Definitely not compared to Herm Edwards. That's accurate. Where do you fall on the opinion of, you know, being a delegator or being a micromanager? It's probably really hard to find that silver lining in between, but how important is it to find that silver lining? Or maybe you try to be a delegator, doesn't work, be a micromanager and vice versa. Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line, right? Especially in college, you see a lot of head coaches that are coordinators, um, and you know, there's very few that are just successful head coaches and not coordinators. And it's because, you know, you think about the Kirby smarts or, or, you know, the Saban Saban, I don't know if Saban is technically his own coordinator. I don't think he is, but you got to imagine that he's calling the defense, you know, or he's got a serious hand in that. So, um, I think it's tough in, in, you know, like Dan Lanning's calling the defense at Oregon. Like yeah. most of the time you're going to, you're going to be a, if you're a coordinator, you're, you're, you know, you're uh, the head coach as well. It's just because that's how you've kind of come up. That's how you've made your name known. 
you know, when Cliff Kingsbury is the OC at Texas Tech, um, he's still the OC for the Cardinals, you know, even though you have other positions. Um, so I think you could be successful either way, but I think in college you really have to you have to own one side of the ball. You have to either, you know, have that explosive offense known for it or have that that defense that's explosive, creates turnovers or is dominant. Um, I think you have to to do that to be able to stand out in um in recruiting. You know, if if you like Todd Graham did a great job of of kind of marketing that explosive defense, turnovers and and you know, TFLs, didn't market so much the the blown coverages over the top, but but uh, did a good job uh, in that in that regard. So this was definitely an experiment for for Herm Edwards and these guys trying to do the the you know NFL style model. And I think for a little bit there, it was looking like it was going to be successful with the recruits that they were getting. And Antonio Pierce was a huge part of that. There's no doubt about it. Without Antonio Pierce, you don't get half those good recruits. Um, and I really hope that that one day he was going to be the head coach at ASU. Um, and then and then eventually he would have probably left us and gone to U of A, which would have sucked. But um, I, I loved what AP was doing. I thought he had some swag about him and um, was bringing really talented recruits here. Um, they had a really good thing going, and obviously they slipped up um, and, and made a mistake, and it, it cost them everything. Can you imagine what it's like to be in that locker room with the players that all the offseason, and, and I give them credit, I know people roll their eyes, but it was like circle the wagons big time. And and, and I can't blame them. I mean, everybody and anybody was crapping on them. You know, yeah. To, to use G-rated language over here. Um, how much – worse do you really feel for the players trying so hard to, to, to shut everybody up and here they are one and two af- after an absolute embarrassing loss I mean that yeah. must, must have well been you know a four touchdown loss versus you know a, a nine point loss I mean how a, as a former player can you imagine what those guys are going through right now yeah you know I've, I've when I was at Washington State our head coach got fired after going like two and ten or something or three we had three wins or something it was terrible and it sucks. You know, you lose your head coach and all the coaches for that matter. You know, those are the coaches that recruited you to that place. And so it's tough for sure. You know, in the in this this era of social media, a lot of the kids are a little bit more outspoken, whereas we didn't have that as much. I think Instagram had like just come out. Um, so things are different now. You know, players are more active and, and talk more to the fans on Twitter and Instagram, whatever it is. Um, so that's that adds its own, you know, element. Um I, I I feel for the kids again. This is where I think Ray Anderson made a mistake by not getting rid of this regime at the end of last year when you had a ton of issues. All of your best players left. All of your best coaches are gone. What else do you need to see? It's not going to look good next season. You go and hire UNLV's offensive coordinator who led one of the worst offenses in the country. Like, and I don't know that statistically. I just know from watching them and I know I remember doing some homework on them last year, how bad they were. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know at what point, you know, you draw the line Eastern Michigan loss at home. I mean, I guess that's rock bottom, but it, it it's all, it was all too late. It should have been started to rebuild after. And I think that's where Ray's mistake was, was hanging on to that. And that friendship, you know, kind of screwed you. It screwed you. And, I told Mike Berkovici this, who's one of my closest friends in the world, was in my wedding. I was in his wedding. And he's a coach for the Cardinals. I said, look, if I'm the athletic director at Arizona State and you're the head coach, 
and we have young coaches. We're, you know, we have really good players. We're like, everything's trending in the right direction. We're really excited about the program. We're 65, you know, years old. We've had a great career. We've made millions of dollars. And here's a NCAA violation. I'm not going to Mike and saying, Hey dude, let's blame the young coaches and let's, um, let's keep our jobs and hold on to this thing and squeeze out another eight to 10 million each. Let's do that. I'm saying, Mike, we had a great run. Let's go, let's go to Hawaii for a couple of years with our kids and our family and hang out. And let's, let's promote Antonio Pierce or a young coach that people are excited about. Keep all the young coaches on. And by the way, all the fans would respect that. They'd all go, wow, that's a, that was a great move. Good thing they got it. And they'd be welcome back. You know, and, and, oh, by the way, Mike, you can go talk on ESPN for another 10 years if you want. And I'm going to go, you know, like, that's what I feel like should have happened. And since then, nothing but finger pointing has happened. Nothing but these guys did it. They're wrong. They're out now. Everything's back to normal. How about his press conference? We're in a better position when we were in 2017. That's a load of garbage. I mean, that's a slap in the face to the fans, to the people that have covered this team, to the alumni, to the football alumni. Like, how can, how can you say that with a straight face? And Ray is a smart guy, you know, like maybe he just has too much pride to where he can't admit defeat. And, I, and that's fine, but it's just, if, I, if I'm the president of the university, I, I, I don't know how you can get behind that. So again, I'm, I always preface this by saying that, like, I, I really do have a lot of love for Ray and for Herm that matter. They always treated me well until they didn't, until Ray fired me without even bringing me in to talk to me and sit, sit me down eye to eye. And I think I deserve that as a former captain. And, um, you know, I, I sacrificed my body for the program. I have, you know, blood, sweat and tears into it. Um, and I'm more passionate of a Sun Devil than you'll ever find, um, especially as a former player. But, you know, I didn't get that respect. And, and again, I still, I still have a lot of love for those guys, but I, when it's, it's time, it's time. And I, you know, it's, it sucks, but I think, Ray is going to be the one looking for the new coach. And I just don't know if that's the right move for the future of the organization for, for the, for the program. Yeah. So let's talk about where ASU goes from here on out. Uh, Sean Aguano won the press conference. There's no doubt about that. I'm old enough to know it doesn't mean anything. If you win the press conference, you got to win on Saturdays. You got to win, you got to win, win in between the lines, but you did read some of the comments of Sean Aguano if you yeah. have to put, you know, your, you know, your crystal ball, uh, you know, ma- you know, Mather, how do you think this ASU team can look differently or, re- or really what should happen differently to maybe shock the world and, you know, do a total 180 from what we saw in the first three weeks? Well, I think, I think we have to change our expectation around, you know, for the, for the program for the rest of the year to think that Sean Aguano can take this team and all of a sudden, you know, flip it around and make them, you know, championship caliber football team is unrealistic in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's nothing against just like, that's nothing against Aguano. He's a great man, a great guy. And um, I haven't spent too much time around him, but from everything I know, he seems like a, a great individual, but um, he's never been a head coach of college football and it's, it's different than high school. And uh, he was successful. But I think, you know, the thing that I'd like to see from him is just establish some principles that that made him successful at the high school level. Right. Which is, you know, just the winning attitude, character, doing things the right way, 
not, you know, get, get rid of some of the penalties. Um, you know, I, to think that they're all of a sudden going to go win, you know, eight games in the pack is just unrealistic there. There's, uh, you know, coaches in the pack 12 right now that just can't wait to play ASU because they're so undisciplined. They know that if they just do things the right way, they'll, they'll beat them. Um, but again, you know, if you don't get X validate and, um, it, the, or Emory Jones, if we don't have them, I mean, we don't have a chance in hell. Um, and so I, you know, they did a good job of going to get in some, going to get some of those, uh, those transfers, but ultimately, you know, it, it takes really good coaching to be successful at the college level. And you see that at all the great programs, obviously, you know, the more you win, the better recruits that you get and yada, yada, yada. But I wish, I wish Iguano luck um, long-term they're going to have to go find somebody, you know, to, to bring the energy back to this program. But I'm all in. I'm, I'm going to support Iguano. I'm going to the game Saturday against Utah. I'm going to support. Um, and hopefully my face is, isn't up with an X through it on the sideline because um, I'd, I'd love to come see everybody. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see kind of what, what transit, what, you know, how they transition and, uh, you know, kind of what style of football they're going to play here over the next, you know, several weeks because they've got a lot of football left. Well, Jordan, I brought you over here in order to get a frank and passionate point of view, and that's exactly what I got in stage. <laughs> so, always, I, I, always. I, I really, I really do appreciate your time. And for people who don't know, Jordan is a new father. His beautiful daughter is turning uh, one month old tomorrow. Yeah. And I always have mad respect for people that plan it right, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And do yeah. not have a kid between September and December. That's the, yeah. That, that's me, by the way, too. So. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. She was born August 23rd. So it was perfect timing just right into college football and a lot of weekends on the couch together. So (laughs) uh, no, she's, she's been incredible. My wife is, uh, is, has been a a, a absolute badass and I couldn't be more proud of her. Um, But always happy to come on and give you a little bit of a, the passion. And I, man, I, I probably, they probably, they're probably going to try to fire me again after doing this (laughs) one. So um, but no, I got a lot of love for you, Hode, and a lot of love for this program. Let me, I always reiterate, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like a season of negativity around ASU and it sucks because I'm, I'm a very positive individual and I love this program with all my heart. And so that's why I, that's why I'm upset at what's going on. And I hope that there's changes continue to be made. And by the way, Ray could make me eat my words. He could go hire a great person, change it all around. And that's what I hope. I hope that what, no matter what happens, I hope ASU can be successful um, I have opinions as everybody else does. So um, I, I hope people can respect that as from a former player. And um, again, I, I, I hope everybody can show up and, and support this program because those players there deserve our, our support no matter what. Absolutely. I mean, when it comes to speaking uh, somebody's mind, as long as you have pretty formidable facts behind it, that's not, yeah. not, not, a, not a problem at all. And I know that Jordan and a lot of other Ray Anderson critics out there, if he just absolutely kills the next hire, I know a guy like Jordan will be the first one to say, yeah. hey, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm always talking about Ray. I'm, yeah. You know, I'm, and I'm, I hope I'm he sick. does. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Jordan, thank you so much. Uh, it, it was a great talking to you, great catching up, and I'm sure we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you, Hope. And that'll do it to this episode of the Devil's Junkies podcast. I'd like, again, to thank my very special guest, uh, Jordan Simone, talking about some very interesting times in Tempe right now from Edwards out. Sean Aguano, the interim head coach. Uh, does he get a chance uh, later on, or does ASU uh, try to make a big-name hire outside the program? Uh, time will tell. 
But if you want to make sure you don't miss uh, any of the news on this developing situation, as well as our season coverage, yes, uh, there's still nine more games to play, practices to cover, interviews with coaches and players, film analysis features, videos, and a whole lot more. Make sure you subscribe today. And the sooner you subscribe, uh, the better chance you're going to have to enjoy our special right now. Sign up and enjoy a 30-day trial absolutely for free. Just go to our main page, devilsdigest.com. There's going to be a breaking news banner right there on top of the page. Uh, Click on the link and uh, basically take it from there. Enjoy our great content and also get some savings in the process. Again, that's devilsdigest.com and the banner of the free 30-day trial promotion is going to be there on top of the page. Thank you, as always, for tuning in. I hope you have a great week. I was living in a devil town I didn't know it was a devil town Oh, Lord, it really brings me down About the devil town